millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is my wardrobe malfunction, the podcast where I start talking to a very special guest about clothes and see where it takes us, usually in all sorts of wild and wonderful directions. Welcome to season seven. If you're new to the party, we have 48 episodes for you to catch up on. And if you're a fan of Great British Dames, and frankly, who isn't? We've already featured four of them. Five if you count Christopher Biggins. Dame Kristen Scott Thomas, Sandra Rhodes, Sheila Hancock and Esther Ranson have all been into my wardrobe. Which leads me nicely on to today's special guest. She's published more than 100 books, sold more than 40 million copies, been children's laureate, won multiple awards, and been a hugely important and influential part of the lives of generations of young women. It's Dame Jacqueline Wilson. Her latest book, The Runaway Girls, is out now. So let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors, and find out what's inside. Oh, so today I am in pink and very pretty (laughs) of uh, the wonderful Dame Jacqueline Wilson. And I really am honoured to meet you and to be able to talk to you because you've published more than 100 books. You've sold more than, what is it, 40 million. And my daughters grew up reading your books. So I feel such a kind of sense of um, nostalgia because it reminds me of when they were younger girls and that's always a good thing. So Dame Jacqueline Wilson, welcome to my wardrobe malfunction. I'm absolutely delighted. You're in pink and I'm in blue. (laughs) Ah, perfection. (laughs) We are perfection. So let's get straight in there to your style. I've always loved how utterly distinctive you are in the way you dress, there's that kind of bohemian flair and and always interesting textures and um, patterns. And I don't think there's anyone else like you in public, which is a huge bloody compliment. And was this something that evolved or has it always been with you? I think it was possibly a reaction to my childhood, although I did stick out then, but uh, we, we were... Not at all posh. We, I lived in a council estate. My mum's ambition was that I was to be ladylike. Now I ask you which child actually wants to look ladylike. And so instead of letting me wear just the sort of things that all the other kids wore, um, we got approximations of what was style. Um, she didn't we didn't have enough money to for her to buy me a, a sort of sheepskin jacket. I had a suede <laughs> and and she, we didn't have enough money to for me to have my clothes just at ordinary times. We she was a 
great person for queuing up in the January sales, um, particularly to a shop called CNAs that went on mm-hmm. forever. And um, so most of my clothes came for there. And if uh, she couldn't buy clothes, she knitted for me. And it was, I can see, very kind of her. But dear God, she never could fit the sleeves properly. So I always had shoulders long before the 80s sort of sticking right out like a coat hanger. And uh, naturally, kids tease me. She also gave me... um, a a home perm so that my hair just sort of exploded all over the place so I hated the way I looked and then as soon as I started earning my own money what a joy it was to be able to choose my own clothes and the one thing my mum always had was that it was common to wear jewellery particularly for little girls and so guess what I'm, I'm absolutely still reacting to that. I went a bit too far in the 70s and 80s and wore a ring on every finger and looked as if I could fell a child with one blow. I got slightly more restrained in in my old age. But as you can see, there's still great big lumpy things here, there and everywhere. But that's just so interesting about your mother. Do you think so did she do you think she saw you as an extension of her rather than as her daughter unfortunately yes and not only is that very disconcerting because we have very different personalities but also when i was about 15 16 17 to save money often i had to wear her clothes which was absolutely appalling I mean we were roughly the same size but who wants to go out in in her mum's clothes well certainly um, my daughter never wanted to wear my clothes and I jolly well don't blame her because you know you're an individual and clothes express your personality so Mm. um, I, I then I was married to a very conventional policeman for quite a long time and he couldn't bear it when I wore something a little bit different and wore all the jewellery. And he again actually wanted me to look ladylike. But, um, you know, I wasn't somebody that just wanted to look out of as if I, you know, raided Jaegers or something. Mm. So um, it was a great relief actually to to be single, to wear my own things. And um, generally I wore black because I think if you're going to wear a lot of very flamboyant jewellery, you do tend to look like a Christmas tree if if you've got too many colours and and sparkles going on. Um, But then after a while, you get a bit sick of something. Um, And now I live in the country I mostly wear jeans and boots because, you know, particularly at the moment, if you set foot in the fields, you know, you are literally knee deep in mud. Um, and I love dressing like this. Mm, no, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. Um, but it's interesting how you, you went from um, being under the roof of your parents and then into the arms of a policeman who wanted you to look a certain way. Do you think there was a kind of safety in that? Was he kind of almost like training wheels for you to become the independent woman you are today? 
that's a very clever theory. But um, I, I had left home at 17. I lived up in Scotland for two years in a Church of Scotland girls' hostel. I didn't really have a home. And I met up with him, and he was actually a printer then. And um, I, I do hope he wouldn't be listening to this because, you know, I don't want to sound no. spiteful. But <laughs> it was basically, he was okay. <laughs> so I thought, all right, <laughs> let's get married because he seemed keen to do this, which is a disastrous mistake. 19 years old, for goodness sake. But... Um, Hey, we, we managed to jog along for a, quite a long time. And then also I got my beautiful daughter, Emma. But um, it wasn't really... I, I, if I'd ever thought of living with anyone at all, it was sort of with some artist type in, in a, a, a sort of interesting garret or something, not in police flats. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> when, you, when you married, when you um, got away from home... Did you sort of comp go crazy with your clothes? Was it like a huge sartorial rebellion for you? It was a bit, although, again, I didn't have much money. Um, I think I had bought a few things in Kingston, where, where I live with my parents, when I started to earn a little bit of money. And there was a shop called Neatwear which um, was started by the people that then went on to have Browns, the really posh London shop. And um, neatwear clothes were just magic because they weren't desperately expensive, but they were stylish. And the joy of being able to, you know, kit myself out in a couple of neatwear outfits and I just wore them and, until they fell to bits. And I, I felt more me then it was just fantastic and um and then in scotland basically you wore all your clothes at once because it was dundee it was even in the summer desperately cold <laughs> and um so then then when we came down south uh certainly uh when when i was pregnant and i started to show I basically had one dress, which I started off thinking, oh, this is okay. It's a smock dress. I quite like smock dresses. It was blue and red tartan. And when you wear the same dress day after day after day, dear God, I cordially hated it. <laughs> and even, even after I'd had um, my lovely daughter and was hopefully getting back to relatively normal because, again, I didn't have that much money and a policeman's wage was pretty rubbish then. I was trying to write and earning a bit with magazines, but not much. So I had to still wear this terrible dress, but belted, so I looked like a sack of potatoes. So um, the sheer joy now of, of being able to wear things that I like and, and are suitable for, for my way of life I, I do always make sure I'm properly dressed, though. I mean, I, I am so, so astonished that so many people now that work at home, particularly men, what are they doing sitting there in a T-shirt and their pants when they have <laughs> Zoom meetings? I couldn't bear to do that. And I always, even if I'm not going out anywhere or seeing anybody, I have to you know, have something reasonably okay on and... Um, even put a bit of makeup on and certainly 
the rings, the bangles, because that that's part of me. Mm, absolutely. That's but I, yeah, I, I completely identify with you on that. I mean, I, I don't know if you have two sides to you. So there's the side, so I live in the countryside as well. So there's a side to me when I'm going to be out walking or running with the dogs and not seeing anyone and I look like a tramp. Um, but I will still always put a bit of makeup on and um, there'll be some something which is kind of okay. And then there's the other side of me where, where I know I can pull, pull it out the back. Do you have, are there two Jacqueline's, do you think, in, in that way? There are. And certainly in, in when, before COVID, it was a delight in, in the village to go down and wear something quite special, even if I was just going to the local pub, something like that, because it's, it's fun to dress up too. And um, I have a dear friend who has a vintage clothes shop in the, in the village, and he has loads of sort of 1920s outfits, which are rather nice, or black velvet capes or whatever. And the joy of living in a, a slightly weird village is that nobody gives a damn what you look like and there are people vastly more eccentric than me so it is quite fun to wear something different at times and I have one or two really kind of formal things that if I'm going anywhere out to a posh or mm. seeing anyone really really special then yes they're they're stuffed in the wardrobe. So do you see clothes more as kind of dressing up as to, as opposed to being fashionable? Yes, I don't really see the point of trying to be fashionable now because fashions change so quickly and I still skim the fashion pages. I'm still a little bit interested, but things are so, so extreme now. And, um, yeah, I did did feel quite envious of of girls wearing sort of tiny little lacy shorts or, or mini dresses again, uh, because when that fashion came around first time round, I was pregnant. And you can't wander around like that because it, it just looks ridiculous. Or I was a young man pushing a pram. And if you push a pram in a mini skirt, you, you show all your underwear. So <laughs> I missed out then. <laughs> and now, I mean, I don't want to to sort of have people shake their heads and say sad old girl <laughs> so um fashion intrigues me but I don't really take it seriously and as long as I've got something quite pretty and, and loose on um that will do me I did used to love ghost and all all their um outfits and because you could look kind of relaxed and cool but they were very pretty and and lacy so so that that was my look for quite a long time but now I think I'd look a bit like a, um, I don't know young 18 year old milkmaidy sort of girl <laughs> or maybe the bride of Frankenstein which is how maybe. I would look <laughs> but those kind of you know a, a, a brand like um, Ghost for example the, what's great about them I think is that their their pieces are timeless and I think if yes. you you know wear them with the right thing we can get away with it at any age well where I think we're, we're so lucky well I am I'm obviously I would have been you Susanna but um my granny when she was about 45 actually 
donned old lady clothes deliberately and um, she wore really old lady things and my mother who did get interested in fashion um, but mostly had those flappy trousers and, and sort of those sort of shoes that are very comfy. I like comfy shoes, but um, you know, I would more go for the Doc Martin look than than the sort of Doctor Skulls. How many pairs of Doc Martins? You are a real, you know, you you are a bit of a hoarder. You're the Amelda Marcos, I think, of <laughs> uh, Doc Martins. How many pairs do you have, or is just one favourite pair? Um, I, I have my favourite pair at the moment is black boots with sort of those roses embroidered on it which I really like I don't wear the really really butch ones um and then they do some canvas boots and I got a pink pair of of docks for the summer and um several flowery ones I would say there are about five circulating around my <laughs> the bottom of my wardrobe so do you think there's a part of you today that dresses how you would like to have done when you were living with your parents? Definitely, definitely. I mean, sometimes when, when children write to me and they're a bit fed up and they might say that their parents are strict and how do I know? They might just have been told off for doing something really naughty. Um, but I generally say, but the wonderful thing is you will grow up and then you can actually choose what you want to do, what you want to wear, how you want to live your life. And I think that's the best, best thing ever. I mean, so many people my age look back upon their childhood and say, oh, you know, it was a golden time and everything. But nope, I like it just now. Mm. So you're, because your father, when you talk about your childhood, you know, you had, you know, I read that you, you had a pretty... You didn't have it easy, um, and your father was a depressive, which is actually like my mother, who was um, severely manic depressive. And um, that must have been very tough for you. You never knew what mood he was going to be in. And then he did, sometimes for something, I still didn't, don't know what it was, he would flare out and shout. But then he would be a sulker. And I think that was the worst thing. He would, you could go for days and days, and it was as if you didn't exist. He, he just wouldn't look at you. And it, it was horrible. Um, so it was, it was a kind of a weird upbringing. I, I think if my parents had married other people, they'd have probably, you know, be much more normal. <laughs> but in those long ago days, you kind of stuck it out because... Um, my mum did think about leaving my dad lots of times, but she didn't quite know how on earth she was going to earn enough to, to find a place to live or whatever. And then there was the problem of me, too. Um, and, you know, it, it was difficult. And, and they, they both had affairs, too, which uh, I wasn't supposed to know about, but eventually did. And uh, uh, at my dad's funeral... My, they were technically still married, but um, not one but two lady friends came along as well, which was bizarre. And then at one time with my mother, when my father was ill um, and she was down as the next of kin for the hospital, but also her gentleman friend was in another ward and she was next of kin to him. 
it is a ridiculous uh, situation. So I was determined when I got married, even though it was clear we weren't really compatible, um, to stick it out as long as possible because I kind of felt that's what you should do. But I've been much happier since I've not been married to, to my husband. So, And I'm sure he has too. He's married again. But it's, I mean, how did you feel when you found out about the, the affairs? Did you feel, well, I'm glad they found some happiness? I, I was relieved about my father because I thought it was just my mother. And, and so I felt, poor thing, he's just mouldering away and, and sad, even though he was a scary dad too. But in actual fact, you know, he was having a happy time too. Um, mm. So it, it was a very strange childhood, but I don't think I was particularly shocked by that. It, it was just, I wanted everybody to live peacefully and to, for there not to be any shouting and was always on high days and holidays, quite literally, Christmas and the summer holiday, there were always the big rows, because I suppose they hoped it would all work out each time, and it never did. Mm. Did you notice when your mother, looking back, if you, if you do indeed know when she was having her affairs, did you notice or remember a change in her appearance? Did she dress up more or a little bit she more She did lipstick? dress up more, mm. yes, yes, and... Um, Yes, she she was an extraordinary woman. She carried on having an affairs into, well, certainly when she was my age, she was having affairs, which was quite extraordinary. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She sounds, she sounds like a very complex woman. She was. Mm. And um, very strange. But perhaps if I hadn't had such strange parents, I, I wouldn't be writing the sort of books I do now about kids who don't have a conventional mum and dad who are always there for them. So it, it could, you could say, I sound like Pollyanna, <laughs> was advantageous. I completely identify with that because, you know, I, like you, with, with my mother who never, you know, she, she was wonderful and very loving and very warm, but... but her illness was in control of her rather than the other way around. But I lost myself in in books and animals, and I, I and I wish your books had been around when I was, you know, a young girl because I would have found great comfort in them. Um, but yeah, that's I would just I disappear into books. I completely identify yes. with that. I mean, that's that they were my lifeline too, and. Um, I, I, I wonder now with, with children, I mean, I, I get letters and emails saying, you know, a particular book has helped a child, and that's absolutely wonderful. Um, I, I know that an awful lot of children just aren't into reading, and yet I don't think you get the kind of emotional comfort if you're just looking at little bits and pieces on YouTube or whatever. Um, because you can literally go into a, a different world mm. or become a different person when you're reading a book. Are you still a great reader now? I, I never don't have a, a book in my hand. I'm always reading. And I, I didn't go to university and 
I managed to sort of vaguely do some A-level. So like you, because you left at school at 16, didn't yes. you? And I didn't go to university, So, but I write, and I've written two novels, and I'm working on my third. So my, my university training to write was from reading. That's how I, I learned to write. Me too, absolutely. And I, I find so many people say, how did you get into writing? And I mean, basically... You've just got to start writing and, and teach yourself, in a way, how to do it. Mm, absolutely. And with your characters, I mean, how much um, thought and time do you put into how they're going to appear and what they're wearing? And if, let's say, it's set in, Vic in a Vic Victorian era, how much research do you do around that? Uh, Victorian era, it's fine, because basically it stays the same. If I'm specific about what a 10-year-old child is wearing, say, now, and, and if with any luck that book stays in print, say, for five years or even 10 years, then it's all going to be so different. Mm. And, and even some of the, the, the sort of catchphrases or, or the things that people talk about change slightly. And I was, would like to be quite current. With Victorian times, that's wonderful. And I, I don't, when I'm researching for a Victorian book, I don't read social history that much. I might check some facts. I like to read books um, of the right time. Um, with the latest book, The Runaway Girls, mm -hmm. um, I read some Dickens. I've got lots of children's books, very moralistic, set in that time. Um, so it gives you a feel. I don't copy any element in the books, but it, it helps you see the way people express things and things that they were concerned about and the extraordinary situation of children, particularly rich children shut up at home with governess if certainly if they were girls poor children frequently on the streets left to fend for themselves I and mean, it was so extreme so extreme mm. so yeah. um it, it's a treat for me to to write victorian books and also if i'm writing a contemporary book now it's a bit of a nightmare because I don't follow many social media things. Um, it's so hard just to manage to stay convincing. Um, and, you know, the, the terrible phrase dad dancing always comes to mind. Like in my books, <laughs> having the children talk, you know, I don't want them, you know, my reader to raise their eyebrows and say, oh, for goodness sake, poor old thing. Don't you know that nobody talks like that now? <laughs> I mean, I try. I listen to children. Um, I'm interested in children and I hope... 90% of the time it's okay but it is more of a strain mm. but then when I think back to Tracy Beaker and in particular the TV series I mean she had a what looks like quite a tight perm was that was that her natural hair or did you say that's what she needs to have based <laughs> on you Ah, uh, that's the lovely thought. Well, certainly I did end up looking like that a bit. But no, I had always had a theory that Tracy herself was probably mixed race. Um, I'd never really mentioned, as far as I can remember, exactly who Tracy's father was and 
when she was stuck in the children's home, it, because she'd never known her father, she never had sort of felt she, she wanted him to come. It was, was her mum she was fixated on. Um, but I also, I, I believe in having the sort of characters that many different kinds of children can identify with. So um, I have had some letters from, from children with, with parents of ethnic different ethnic backgrounds, um, saying, ah, I bet Tracy's dad is, is a black guy. Mm. And um, I've always thought, yeah, well done you. But nobody else really thought about that. And um, it didn't really come into things because we didn't really see Tracy's um, mm. dad at all. I suppose that's still a possibility. I mean, I've resurrected Tracy and now she's a, a mum with a daughter of her, her, of her own. Um, you know, it would be really weird if, if that suddenly cropped up. <laughs> who can tell? Who knows? That's all yeah. still up here in that brilliant mind of yours. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, and so now you, you, you going, sticking with her, you've got the most beautiful kind of silver hair. Um, do you, when did you crop it? When did you, how long have you had short hair? Because you're very lucky that it suits you. So I, well. I well, it, I, I feel a bit like a yak at the moment with it because I've been very good and stuck to all the rules. I actually sent for a pair of hairdressing scissors, but I didn't have the courage to attack it, and I certainly didn't let my partner try it either. So basically, it's just gone a bit wild. Um, I always wanted very long hair. Had had a thing about wanting long hair, but I have got very wavy hair, so it would never go particularly long. Um, never really past my shoulders. So I had it all cut off. I don't know in my teens, mm. and it's been short ever since. Uh, last year, after lockdown, um, my hair had grown a bit, and I thought, well, I might have it trimmed but keep it a reasonable length because before it was really really quite short um 
and I thought it was maybe a little bit too punishing for the, for the old face. Um, but I think it, it's easy to cope with. And in the summer, I like to go swimming a lot so then I can just get out the pool and, and you know, don't really even have to bother blow drying my hair. And, and it's easier. So how did your mum feel when you hacked your, your hair off? Um, I don't think she particularly said anything. I mean, she certainly, it wasn't in her character to say, well, darling, that looks lovely. But I don't think she particularly minded that. She did She didn't mind about the sort of clothes I wore and, and found it deeply embarrassing and um, was forever ticking me off. But then as she got older and more eccentric and possibly a little bit demented, I'm talking now late 80s and, and she died when she was 92. Wow. She became addicted to shopping channels. She always said, because I've got no one to talk to. But it wasn't that, really. I think she she always loved buying things. And she had been an antique dealer and, and couldn't go and barter for things. And so she she applied herself to the shopping channels and bought the most inappropriate things. I don't know whether this was inside all the time, but she bought leopard skin things <laughs> and, and the oddest, oddest, kind of really tarty clothes. You know, <laughs> this was the woman that tried to be ladylike and, and very rarely wore them, but had them piled up so high on her bed that actually she started to sleep in her chair and was really, really outraged at the idea that I could sort of sift through them and put some of them away so she could sleep on her bed and wouldn't do it. Really? I mean, she was very difficult to control, mm. even even in old age when she was quite helpless. She, she ruled with a rod of iron. Did she ever, or did either of your parents ever pay you a compliment about how you looked? No, don't think so. And... And my mum, with my daughter, she she was a reasonable, still an eccentric grandma, but, but she was very fond of Emma, but really never paid her a compliment either. And Emma, who would make, say, a three-hour train tube journey to go and see my mother, and always she would be greeted with, oh, Emmy, oh, you look dreadful. <laughs> Why don't you have your fringe cut? And, and she, maybe it just wasn't in her. Who, who knows? And yet her upbringing, um, you know, my grandparents seemed, well, they seemed baffled by my mother, certainly, but um, they were a perfectly ordinary couple. But it sounds like she was someone either through you or I'm not quite sure how she dressed, but with her leopard print, but someone who craved compliments herself she did she did she very very much wanted to be a center of attention all the time and then as an elderly lady if I was taking her out in her wheelchair she would start conversations with people and then deliberately say something that she knew would embarrass me um, or say something really unkind or nasty to someone or comment on somebody in a very loud voice and she knew what she was doing but she just she just she 
even if it was condemnation, she would prefer that than being ignored. Extraordinary, isn't it? Was she alive when um, you met Trish? Yes, she was. Trish. So how, yes. how did that go? How did that little scene play out? Well, she was so naughty because she'd always had gay friends and she was, she was a bit scathing about gay women, always, but um, not really prejudiced. And yet, of course, it was, oh, you're shaming me, and oh, what will I do, and people will point at you. She, she was ridiculous, really. But again, I, I didn't take it too seriously, because she had cordially hated my husband and all my friends. So it was just, I, I'd given up trying to find anybody that would really um, please her, because they didn't exist. Was there ever a part of you, or is there, not now she's passed on, but was there a part of you that was wanting to please her, that was always trying to please her? Up until I was middle-aged, I did want to please her. And then I think you get to the stage when you think it's not going to happen and you must stop getting worked up about it because she can't change. I can change the way I react. And I still, I mean, I was an only child, so obviously I still had to see her. I felt I had a duty towards her. Very luckily, um, her last about 20 years, I was earning enough money so I could pay other people to take her out or or attend to her care or, or just take her for a car ride or something, mm. which which was fine, although she got through them pretty quickly. <laughs> but um, I just realised that you, you, you can't go on just wanting to please. You, you've got, at some stage, to, to please yourself. Mm. And how do you think, I mean, what, 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 how would you rate your confidence in how you look, Jacqueline? I mean, it's probably changed throughout the years. but um... I, I must have some kind of confidence because otherwise I'd choose the sort of clothes that would make me sort of blend into the background. Um, I, I, I think I, I wear the sort of clothes to please myself now. And if I feel, yeah, that looks okay, um, you know, that's fine. I, I think I'd be disconcerted if out in the street people said, good God, did you see that? <laughs> I mean, I would hope I would rise above it, but I I would find that a little bit upsetting. But um, no, I I think, you know, this this is what is so lovely from middle age onwards. I think you do stop. Well, I certainly stop trying to to fit in and, and look a certain way and behave a certain way. Yeah, no, I'm I'm completely with you. If I think veer in that direction, and I do try, I just end up disappointed because it's never going to happen. So you've just got to be happy with what you see in front of you. Doesn't matter about anything else. But given the whole Trini and Susanna days, mm. do people always look with interest at what you're wearing and and? try to see, you know, is she a a sort of fashion icon for all women? 
because I would find that quite disconcerting. To be honest, Jacqueline, now, um, if I walk down the street, let's say I'm, I'm kind of in a local town, I'm walking down the street and someone might recognise me and I'm with my you know, daughters or something and they'll look and I, can, I know what's going through their minds. They'll look and they'll go, oh, is that Susanna from Trini and Susanna? And then their next thought is, no, it can't possibly be because I look like shit most of the time and I couldn't care less because I, for me it's all about feeling, and it sounds such a kind of, you know, cliche to say this, but it is, it's about feeling healthy and my insides being beautiful and well looked after and and I'm not talking about my personality and being a good person. I'm literally talking about not waking up in the morning and, hard, you know, having to crawl out of bed because my joints are aching so much. Yeah. You know, that's my priority now. Yeah, very wise. Very wise. Mm. Thank I, God. <laughs> I do remember when I lived at the hostel and, and we were all having a kind of midnight feast, like something out of Enid Blyton, and we were all saying, what would we wish for for the future? if we could have anything at all. And, and we all had very bizarre wishes. But one girl said, good health. And we all looked at her thinking, God, how boring. And yet, as you get older, actually, good health is very important indeed. And, and if you are feeling absolutely dreadful and or really worried about a particular thing, um, you know, it, it does help to, to, to lead a healthy life. Although, sadly, there are some things, no matter how virtuous you are, they mm. jump up at you and, and fell you just like that. Well, you've been through a lot, haven't you, health well, I Well, I have been. I mean, I sort of things my organs failed <laughs> the one that still seems to be pumping away okay is my liver and I do give that a bit of a punishment sometimes <laughs> but the heart went and and then the kidneys went but um thank god for modern medicine because now I mean fingers crossed you know they're they've all the, the heart's been back in action now I have a brand new kidney mostly courtesy of Trish because though we're not compatible there's a wonderful scheme where you can do a swap with another couple and so she donated her kidney so so we've now both just got one working kidney but Mostly, you don't even think about it. So, when you, what did you wear? Are you, you're mar are you married, you and Trish? We're civil, civilly partnered. Civilly partnered. So, do you remember yes. what you wore when you were civilly partnered? I did wear a ghost outfit. Um, it was a kind of rosy. I have to say, bay fawn, rosy fawn color, um, a, a top and a, a dress, sort of just below the knee. And um, I, I've still got it, I'm very fond of it. And Trish wore a sort of rather elegant Chinese brocade, longish jacket and black trousers. So, um, we, you know, we were certainly not going to be wearing white frocks or anything like that. No. And have you ever had a wardrobe malfunction, Jacqueline? I have. Ages ago, there was a fashion for wraparound skirts. And I had treated myself to a, a designer 
black, wraparound skirt down to about the ankle. Very flimsy material, but very flattering. It, it didn't bulk around the tummy or the hips or anything. And it had this nice sort of belt that you could not. And therefore you had, as I wore it in the shop, um, a, just a, a reasonably decent little display of leg. Just, just a slit up to about the knee. And I thought, yeah, that's fine. And um, I was thrilled to bits with it. <laughs> and then the first time I wore it out, walking down the road and then another road, I realized that as I walked, the split got a little more sort of showing things, not, not really past about lower thigh but even so I was a little bit disconcerted there and when I got into the town um, I was looking in shop windows and kept looking at it and thinking oh god and I suppose I was absentmindedly hitching at it to try and stop it gaping <laughs> so much when suddenly the belt of it the tie round belt undid itself and the whole <laughs> Held past my knees, round my ankles, which in crowded, crowded shopping street. So, oh dear God, I, I, I could feel myself blushing at the thought of it. So I went into the nearest shop doorway, there was nothing else for it, turned my back on people, and sort of pulled the skirt back past my knickers, tied the knot up about 60 times. And went straight home by the back streets. And I never wore the damn skirt again. It was just so awful. It was just like those nightmares you, you get. So not, not a good look at all. Not a good look. Not a good look. And I imagine I know the answer to this already, Jacqueline. But what would you consider to be your comfort blankets? Something can be anything from a laptop to a notepad to a lamp to a piece of clothing. What gives you great comfort? Well, for wearing, it's my jewellery. For if I go out anywhere, I generally have a book with me, uh, which is very annoying if I'm in the middle of a, a great big hardback at home, say, but then I will take a paperback. Or I have to have something to read because even if I'm waiting 10 minutes for, for a bus or whatever, I, I need something to distract myself. Mm -hmm. So as, as long as I've got a book to read, and as long, I mean, I... <laughs> I used to keep my jewellery on all the time, uh, particularly the bangles, uh, because I just liked the sound of them, even, even in bed when I rolled over. But I have a specific bangle that has got little hooks on it. I've got it here. Oh, let's see. And there we go. Oh, it's, it's this. Stunning. And it, it's got a sort of moonstone, and it's, it's quite chunky silver. And then it's got little skulls with kind of like little hooked horns it's it's quite little it's not too sort of biker girl but I particularly was fond of this bangle and always wore it at night and then one night I woke up with the most excruciating pain and the little horny bit had actually impaled itself in my nipple <laughs> and in the dark I couldn't actually get it out. And so I had to hobble my 
she suddenly streaming with tears of pain into the bathroom. And then I had to crouch and try and unhook it. And I had never experienced so much pain. So that people who have rings <laughs> hanging out their nipples must be mad. Although I was mad to wear the damn thing. And needless to say, I don't wear any jewellery whatsoever <laughs> Oh my god, I'm clutching onto my bosoms. I know it makes you do that. It was absolutely desperately painful. God, Jacqueline. But have you have you always worn silver jewellery? Because you I look at your rings now and it's all silver. I did used to wear gold when when I could um afford it. Often when a new book came out, I would buy a new gold ring or something. You kind of look even more flamboyant wearing a lot of gold. And then my hair went silvery grey very early on. And so I thought it might look just slightly more refined if I wore silver and um, and I wore glasses, uh, silver glasses, silver hair, so that that was much easier. And I prefer this sort of jewellery because it's, I mean, the stones I, I love, but they're not really precious stones and silver isn't anywhere near as expensive as gold so I can occasionally treat myself to something new and chunky and and it's lovely to wear. I love that ring you're wearing on your right hand is it on your right this hand? One. Yes, this one. Yes stunning. Yes. Great and actually silver suits you. Silver is better colour for you than gold. I, I think so. And um, I'd also be a bit frightened that, you know, somebody might, if I went around clanking with gold, they might try and rip it off my fingers or something. Very likely happen. You've been honoured with so many awards and then obviously with um, your damehood. So what would you consider to be your birthday suit, an outfit that is like? Pizzazz. There's a green silk dress that I got from Zittig and Voltaire ages ago. Um, and that's the one. That's my sort of dress that will take me anywhere. And even if I'm going through, you know the way that even if you would just put on a few pounds, but you suddenly imagine yourself absolutely huge or whatever. But it's relatively loose around the waist and the tummy, so I, I don't put it on and think, oh, God. Um, I like it. I like the feel of it. And I had to go to the palace once because I think Women's Art was doing a Women of the Year Awards thing. And... Um, and I didn't want to look too like wearing my funeral black suit, which was the only really posh thing. So the green silk dress went beautifully there. Um, I was astonished to be awarded a special BAFTA for a sort of lifetime children's um, in the media thing, because a lot of my books have been adapted for television and Tracy Beaker and spin-offs from it have been long running and that was such a wonderful moment and I thought shall I buy a new dress but I didn't like anything as much as the green silk dress so so wore it there and it's even been in a film <laughs> because do you remember the cat named Bob? No. 
Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Absolutely. I love that. Yes. James, James was a, a sort of busker on the streets yes. and then he adopted this cat and, and then there was a book about it and some other books and everything. And he happens to be published by my publishers and there was a big party held at Christmas or something and he was there with the cat draped round his shoulders and I love cats and yet I'm astonished that this cat is so calm because you know my cat would shriek with horror and run away in, in a huge crowded noisy place um, so I went up to him and, and asked if I could possibly you know stroke the cat and he was just lovely and Bob was just like he'd been a star all his life and just very happy to be stroked by eager people. And um, and then we, we both left quite early and he said his girlfriend was picking him up and she had read my books when she was younger and could they have a photo? So we had a photo. I didn't realise that in actual fact they put it on social media or whatever because I don't really follow very much at all. And then in the second book about Bob, they had actually mentioned me by name in the book. And so there was a first film about Bob. The second film, somebody approached me and said, would you like to play yourself? Because we're going to have the publishing party. And I said, well, yes, please. And I thought it would be fun. And it was fun in a way because um, I did get to meet the real James and also the, the actor who played him. And although Bob had been in almost semi-retirement then, um, I got to meet Bob himself. He was getting on a bit. And I got to meet about five understudy Bobs. <laughs> but, and I wore my green dress. And I thought that, because it was a publishing party, you see, that my bit was in. And I thought that might give me confidence. Unfortunately, having watched the film, which is very good film through fingers <laughs> through my fingers dear god i am no actress even <laughs> when i'm acting myself <laughs> it's one of those cringe moments so lovely film <laughs> lovely person impersonating james lovely bob and all his understudies absolute rubbish me but luckily i was only in it for about two minutes oh, and that was that how fantastic Oh, and I just want to ask you selfishly one last question. What are you reading? Have you got any good book recommendations? Because I'm sort of running, I mean, you can never run out of books, but what kind of things do you like to read? Um, I'm just at the moment reading, a, it's an American book called American Baby. Um, because it's about in the 60s, um, so many young women, if they got pregnant, they were absolutely practically forced into having their babies put up for adoption if they weren't married or didn't have a boyfriend on the scene and their parents wouldn't um, look after them and I am writing something similar about a girl here in the 1960s and um, so that is absolutely fascinating so that's my kind of work book mm -hmm. um, I've recently ploughed through a wonderful biography of Sylvia Plath, um, which is not uplifting reading, um, but tells you more more than you ever thought was possible about her. But it mm. did, I, I think, it was a 
terrible time for her all the way through her life, really. But still, she's an absolutely extraordinary poet. And, um, and The Bell Jar remains my, one of my absolute favorite books. So I've read that. Um, I sort of jump around with, with different books that um, I, I've got Shuggy Bain, the, it, I think it won the Booker Prize because okay. it's about a boy and his mum in Glasgow in, in sort of um, leading a very impoverished life, which sort of appeals to me. Um, I've recently read a Rose Tremaine. Um, so it's very eclectic yes, reading. Yeah. Sort it's of. I'm reading at the moment, which I'm loving, um, Born to Run, about... And it's uh, it's about this tribe in Mexico, and basically who they exist. No one knew anything about them, and it's um, by Christopher McLaughlin, I think his name is, and it is fascinating because I'm I'm obsessed with not doing it myself. I'm, I hasten to add, but ultra running is something I've kind right. of gone off on a tangent, and it's so interesting about this tribe and how they live and how. They can run for four days on the trot, so I'm reading that. It's re I really Gosh. recommend it. It's fantastic. And it'd be very inspirational for, for any woman thinking, well, I really ought to start training, <laughs> doing some running. Not me, though. No. <laughs> or it'll put you off completely. Yeah. But, um, well, Jacqueline, you are just fantastic, and, and thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak to me. And I wish you... All the best for your new book, The Runaway Girls, and um, with all the fantastic books you're yet to write. You're amazing. Thank you. Bless you, Susanna. I'm going to go and look for your books now and <laughs> read them. <laughs> oh, I send you the biggest kiss and have a great oh, weekend. Kisses from me too. You too. Thank you. To you too. <laughs> Bye. Oh, thanks, Jacqueline. Isn't she just fabulous? Her new book, The Runaway Girls, is out now. Right, before we go, a tiny bit of housekeeping. First, if you have a clothing story of your own or just want to say hi, email us at helpatmywardmail.com. Second, you can find our dazzling house band duo at duoguitarmusic.com or at duoguitarmusic on their socials. Finally, you can find us at mywardmal.com. Follow us at mywardmal on our socials and rate and review us on your chosen podcast platform. That's it. Thanks so much again to the wonderful, divine, gorgeous, utterly exquisite Jacqueline, to Duo, and of course, thanks to you for listening. Catch up soon. Until then, my wardrobe is officially closed. 